Bibles, please open with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Now the written word of the living God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Friends, let's pray together. God, as we gather now to hear your word, to preach and proclaim it, Father, I pray that you would remove every distraction from our hearts and our minds, and may your Holy Spirit work amongst us, Lord. Teach us of yourself, God. Teach us, Lord, how our hearts need to desire to worship you just as these wise men did many years ago. And as we continue to walk through the characters of Christmas, may your will and your way be worked out in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, please be seated. Well, as we've mentioned a couple times, our theme for Advent is the characters of Christmas. It was last Sunday on the first Sunday of Advent that Hunter started us out and we learned about the angels and the shepherds. Next week, Pastor Darrell will be preaching on Mary and Joseph. On the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're going to talk about the character of, of Simeon. And on Christmas Eve, we'll gather together at five o'clock. I hope you can join us that day. We'll be focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, today on this second Sunday of Advent, what we want to do is to zoom in here on Matthew chapter 2 and look at three specific characters. You see them in the text. 
The first character is Herod. History teaches us that he was called Herod the Great. The second character is actually a group of characters. You see them in the text. They're known as the chief priests and the scribes. The third character we're going to look at is the wise men. And for each one of these characters today, look in your bulletin. We're going to ask a series of questions about each one of these characters. On the back of your bulletin, there's an outline. We're going to ask the following questions about each of these characters. We're going to ask, who are these people? Who, who are these characters? How did this specific character receive the message? And then what was this character's response? And then we'll ask the question, was this wise or was this foolish? Today's sermon, dear friends, is entitled, The Wise and the Foolish. So join with me, if you would, as we examine the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2, as we look at these three characters and understand who are the wise and who are the foolish. The first character is found in verse 1. Let's reread the verse. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Herod the king. As we mentioned a moment ago, history calls him Herod the Great. Well, let's ask the first question. Who was Herod? Friends, as we study the Bible, as we study history, we find that this Herod known as the Great was the first of many Herods that we hear about from the Bible. We learn from history that his father was the governor of Judea. So as such, his dad arranged for Herod to be in line for leadership. So it was about 40 B.C. that Herod was declared by Octavian to be the king of the Jews. Did you hear that phrase? He was declared to be the king of the Jews. Now, Herod was not Jewish. See, he was Idumean. And because of that, he decided to marry a lady who had a Jewish background. And he did that so that he would be better received by the Jews there in Israel. And history teaches us that this Herod was a great builder. In fact, it was this Herod who built a, a, a theater. He built racetracks there in Israel. He built Caesarea Maritima on the west side of Israel. He built that great military fortress on the west side of the Dead Sea called Masada. But probably his greatest achievement was the building of the temple. Do you remember in John chapter 2 when Jesus said, Tear down this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And of course, Jesus was talking about his body. But the others said, how are you going to do that? It took 46 years to build this temple. And they were talking about uh, the temple uh, there in the land. That's the temple that Herod the Great built, taking 46 years to build. Now, as we continue to study Herod, we also find that this man was a very cruel he was a very evil man. He was very jealous. In fact, he was very suspicious, even of members of his own family. 
Herod the Great was known for taking his, bro his brother-in-law, who was the high priest, and having him drown. And he even faked weeping at his funeral. This same Herod had his own wife executed. More than that, three of his own children he put to death. And by the time he was getting ready to die, he knew that no one liked him. So what he did at that point was he had many distinguished citizens of Jerusalem arrested. And at the point of his own death, he commanded, when I die, execute these distinguished citizens because I want to ensure that there is weeping at my death. Maybe the thing that he did that was even worse than that, maybe his most heinous act, we know it. Matthew 2 verse 16 talks about it. We didn't read it this morning, but you know what he did. He had all the male children in Bethlehem, two years and younger, put to death. Friends, this is Herod the Great. Let's ask the second question. How did Herod receive the message of the wise men? Look at it, verses 2 and 3. Saying, where, <clears throat> where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. The Bible says that he was troubled. You know, he hears this message from the wise men. Maybe the first thing that goes on in Herod's heart is this. Why are people looking for the king of the Jews? This new king of the Jews. Wasn't I declared by Rome to be the king of the Jews? Why are these other people coming and saying there is someone else born king of the Jews? Is there someone coming to take my power? Is there someone coming to take my place? Now look, we've already learned that this guy would do anything to keep his power and his place. He would even kill off his family members. Friends, that's why the text says Jerusalem was also disturbed. Because they knew this guy would go to great lengths to keep his power to do things his way. So the third question, how did Herod respond? Well, the Bible says he made a plan. You know, you're not king as long as Herod was king without the ability to make a plan. So he made a plan. His plan involved doing this. You know what? I'm going to pretend to be interested in this king. I'm going to pretend. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get some groups of people together and I'm going to ask them questions. So he first summons the chief priest and the scribes and he asks them a question. It's the where question. Where was he born? And the chief priests and scribes, they were able to answer him. They gave him a verse from the Old Testament. This is where the Christ was to be born. But never did Herod stop. Never did he reflect 
on the truth that Scripture was teaching him from the mouths of these scribes, these chief priests. He wasn't concerned of what, what the Bible said. He was only concerned about himself. You see, he goes on to ask another question to another group of people, the wise men. He asked the scribes the where question. He asked the wise men the when question. You see it in the text. When did you see the star? When did you see it? You see what he's doing as king? If he can determine where Christ was born, if he can determine when Christ was born, that's going to let him make his plan so he can take out this newborn king of the Jews. His concern was not over the significance of that star that drew out these wise men to head that way. Not at all. He wasn't concerned what God might be doing. He was only concerned for himself. So he decided to make the wise men detectives. Hey, here's what you need to do, wise men. Go find him. Go find this child. Come back to me. Report to me where he is. And then here's the kicker. Are you ready? Here's the big cover-up that I may go and worship him. Yeah, right. That was the last thing on Herod's mind. He did not want to go and worship him. In his heart, he wanted to attack, to, to destroy. Never did this man pause. Never did he consider what God might be doing. He had a heart of stone. He was power hungry. He wanted to stay king of the Jews. He thought someone was threatening his power and his position. And he did what he always did. He tried to remove anybody that got in his way. This time, he wasn't removing a family member, a brother-in-law. He was trying to remove God himself. Friends, was this wise or was this foolish? It's clear from the text that Herod's decision to reject Christ was very, very foolish. Did you know at the time Herod was doing all of these things, a few miles from him, God was bringing his greatest gift to earth. God was coming down. Wrapping himself in humanity. And even though all of this was verified by the chief priests, by the scribes, they showed him the scripture. Even though it was verified by the wise men who said, we saw the star, we've come to worship him who was talked about in the Old Testament. Herod did what he always did. He tried to get rid of anybody in his way. And this time it was God. And Herod wanted to get rid of God as quickly as possible. Friends, as we examine Herod, we might ask this question, how is this, does this apply today? Does this still happen today? And the answer is absolutely yes. Leaders in this world, different countries, different continents, do their very best to push God out of the way. They do their very best to push the message of Jesus Christ off. 
to completely get rid of the Word of God, get rid of the Bible, get rid of prayer, get rid of that. We want nothing to do with this God. We want to do things our way and our way only. And not only does it involve the leaders in this world, but friends, I want you to know it can involve you sitting in the seat today. Your heart, dear friends, take a look at it. Is it a heart that's like Herod's? Maybe you have heard the message of Jesus Christ, and in your heart you say, you know what, that sounds great. I want to go worship him, but really what's going on inside your heart is you're trying everything in your life to get rid of God, to keep him out. You're finding out ways to to plan uh, so that, that you can push God out or get rid of God. Dear friends, God is doing a work in your midst. And just as Christ came 2,000 years ago, he is still here today. And he's saying, recognize who I am. Recognize that I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Don't push me away. This heart that Herod had, we learned about it a few months ago. Remember we talked about the, the parable of the sower and the seed and the hard ground The gospel goes forth and it hits this hard ground and it's picked up by the birds and taken away. It's the hard heart of man. Dear friends, this was the heart of Herod. Push away God at all costs. Well, let's look now at the second group of characters. Verses 4 and 5 talk about them. We know them as the chief priests and the scribes of the people. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. First question, who were the chief priests? Who were the scribes? As we studied the Bible, we learned that the chief priests were a group of priests. They descended from Aaron, specifically from the tribe of Levi. And made up in this group, one one of the members was the high priest. The Bible teaches us that there needed to be one high priest. This was the one who would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. But by this time in the New Testament, there were actually more than one. There shouldn't have been. But because of the political nature of the way this office was viewed, there was more than one living at one time. Also in the chief priests were the captain of the temple. This was the one who ran the temple police. He um, would serve under the direction of the high priest. There were other influential priests and leaders that made up this group. Many of them were, were Sadducees, and basically they handled all the things that went on in the temple. Now you also have the scribes. The scribes were mostly Pharisees. Why the uh, Chief priests were mostly Sadducees, the scribes were mostly Pharisees, and these folks were what's called the authorities of the law. They were the scholars of Judaism. So if you had a question about the Old Testament, these were the people that you would ask. So you can see what Herod's doing here. He's gathering together all of those who handle all things in the temple. He's gathering together all those who are the scholars of Judaism. He's gathering them together and he's gathering them together again as part of his plan. And what was the question that Herod asked them? It was the where question, right? Where was Jesus supposed to be born? So let's ask this, the next part of our outline. How did they receive this message? 
The Bible teaches us that they proved that they knew the scriptures. They quoted Micah to Herod very easily. I can remember growing up in my Baptist church, we would have sword drills. You know what a sword drill is? You ever been part of a sword drill? You know, the, the Bible is the sword of the spirit. So you get your sword out and the, maybe the youth director calls out a verse and you look at who's the fastest to look it up. You know, how well do you know your Bible type thing? These guys aced it. Okay, I mean, these guys are like sword drill champions. Herod asked them a question, and man, they have an answer. They knew their Bible, and they knew that God's word spoke of a personal, literal Messiah, and they could actually show you where it said it in the Bible. But let's ask this question. What was their response? And here's the key. They knew the answer. They just didn't believe it. They knew the answer. But by their actions, they showed us they really didn't care. You see, it's not that they didn't have knowledge about the Holy One that was coming. Rather, they simply refused to believe it when it was right in front of them. You could say that their response was indifference didn't get too excited didn't get too upset they were basically indifferent and the question that we would want to come and ask right now these scribes these chief priests is why aren't you doing what the wise men are doing Listen, you guys have the whole Old Testament. You're scholars in this area. You know the verses. You know where things are in the Bible. You, you, you now hear this announcement about the star in the east. We've come to worship the king of the Jews. Why aren't you doing what these wise men are doing? You have all the promises in the Bible. You have the Old Testament, all the evidence. But they chose to be indifferent. Friends, how would this, well, before we get there, let's ask this question. Was this wise or was this foolish? The Bible says this is completely, completely foolish. You know, if we think about people who maybe would apply to this situation today, this would be people, dear friends, and this is where it comes home to all of us, maybe here in this room. These are people who maybe sit on the pews of churches and they know all the books of the Bible. They have a working head knowledge of the scriptures, just like these folks did. They've served here. They've helped there. But you know what? They're completely indifferent towards knowing God. They don't even know God. They're lukewarm to him. When they hear the message of what God is doing, it does nothing in their heart. Jesus warned us about these people On the last day, Jesus says that many on that day are going to say, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Maybe didn't I know all the books of the Bible or this or that? And Christ is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. What does God think about being indifferent? We read it in Revelation. God would rather us be hot or cold. But if you're indifferent, he will spew you out of his mouth if you're lukewarm. Why aren't these scribes running to Bethlehem, but dear friends, do you know what the Bible says about these scribes, about these 
chief priests that later on in their lives, as Jesus grew up, as Jesus taught and preached, what did they do? They rejected and refuted his preaching. They denied his teaching. They enjoyed his suffering. And they proved to us just how foolish indifference towards God can be. Can you think about maybe another person in the Bible? Lot's wife. Do you remember Lot's wife? You know, in the New Testament, Jesus said this phrase, remember Lot's wife? Why would he say that? Why would Jesus take the time to say that? Think about Lot's wife from the Old Testament. She had all the benefits of the covenant, didn't she? She had Abraham, the presence of God in their life. And coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah, she had the promises of God, don't look back. But she couldn't help herself. And she turned and she looked. And she turned into that pillar of salt. She had all the benefits of the covenant, but she didn't believe. It never made it from her head to her heart. Just like these scribes, just like these chief priests, they had all the knowledge, they had all the benefits of the covenant, but they were indifferent towards God and didn't believe. That is indeed foolish. But now let's look at this third group, this third character, the wise men. The Bible says in verse 1, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Well, let's ask the questions. Who are they? Who are these wise men? You know, Scripture does not teach us very much about who they are. Scripture does not teach us where they came from. It does not teach us how many there are. I know we often talk about three wise men. That's actually not in the Bible. There's actually... At least two, uh, it's plural, there's more than one. There's probably a big entourage that, that came. It does not tell us how long it took them to get to Bethlehem. It does not tell us what they were wearing. It doesn't tell us how they died. In fact, there's much debate. Many scholars think they were Medes or Persians or maybe Babylonians. In fact, we know from the book of Daniel that Babylon had their own wise men. But I think we can say that just like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, these were God-fearing Gentiles. And what the text does tell us is how they received the message of Jesus. It says they came, and they came willingly, and they came wanting to worship. Look at verse 2. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to do what? To worship. We've come to worship him. They obviously feared God. They obviously had received the message that God had revealed to them, and they came seeking the Holy One and what does verse 11 say? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. And what did they do? They fell down. And they worshipped him. Friends, we could say that these scribes, these chief priests, they had a lot more information. They had this whole Old Testament that they studied. They were 
You know, again, there were the scholars. They had all of this. They didn't get this far. But these men who were sensitive to the call of God in their lives, that God, what God is revealing to them, they came following this star and they bowed down and they worshiped the Christ child. And the Bible says that through their worship, they gave gifts. Let's briefly talk about these three gifts. First of all, they gave him gold. You know, when we study gold in the Old Testament, it talks about royalty. It talks about kings. Kings wore crowns of gold. King Solomon had a drinking vessel of gold. In the Old Testament, gold is always associated with royalty, with kings. What is the Bible declaring to us? Yet, Yes, indeed, Jesus is the king of the Jews. But more than that, Revelation declares to us that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Philippians declares to us that every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Gold shows us he is royalty, the king who sits on the throne, whose dominion will never, ever end. The one from the line of David who sits on the throne. Secondly, frankincense. Frankincense was a costly, beautiful, smelling incense. And as you study frankincense throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament mentions frankincense always in the service of Yahweh, Jehovah, in the service of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Old Testament says it was stored in the chamber of the sanctuary and is frequently mentioned in connection with meal offerings. In Exodus 30, it is entered as an ingredient for incense, which tells us that it was for God. So when you think about frankincense, think about God. Frankincense was a gift given to the baby Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is fully God. In the Christ child, God had descended and come all the way down to where we are. And he came so far down. Christ does this. He comes so far down that he wraps himself in our humanity to this infant child laying in a manger. God is coming down. When you think about frankincense, think about God coming down. You, you, you think about these Old Testament illustrations of the glory of God coming down and dwelling in the temple and the glory of God being manifested over the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. That's the picture of Christ coming down. Frankincense teaches us his, de his deity. When you think about myrrh, what is myrrh? Myrrh is a perfume. And we see that when it's used in the Bible, it's used primarily for man. It was part of an anesthetic that would make you feel better. It would make pain less dreadful. It was a perfume you maybe put on your bed or a garment. And oftentimes, myrrh was used in a burial. So when you think about myrrh, you think about humanity. Jesus is the God-man, fully God, but also 
fully man, wrapped in our flesh and blood, bone of our bones, flesh of our flesh. The song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Veiled in Flesh, the Godhead See, Hail the Incarnate Deity. Friends, when you think about gold, think about his royalty. Frankincense, think about his deity. When you think about mirth, think about his humanity. Dear friend, as we conclude this sermon this morning, what can you take away from this? My question to you and to me this morning as we close is, what is your response to the Lord Jesus Christ? We've seen Herod's response. We've seen the scribes and the chief priest's response. And we've seen the wise men's response. And we ask this question of all three, which one was wise and which one was foolish? Today is your heart like Herod's. That you hear this message and you do everything you can to push God away. You do everything you can to take care of yourself and push God out of your life when the greatest message you could ever hear is right at your door. It's foolish to reject Christ with a hard heart. Is your heart today like the chief priests and the scribes? And this might be the most difficult one. Do you have a heart of indifference? You're like, yeah, pastor. I hear this message. I hear it every year about this time. But you know what? It's not a big deal. Don't really care. You just push it off. Maybe you're like the, the scribes. You have all the head knowledge, but you've never trusted God with your heart. Oh, dear friend, see how foolish it is to reject Christ with indifference. But, dear friend, is your heart like that of the wise men? You know, we could ask the question over and over, hey, scribes, hey, chief priests, why aren't you doing what these wise men are doing? Why aren't you coming to worship? You have all the knowledge. Why aren't you worshiping? Dear friends, the heart's of these magi, these, these wise men, they turned towards Christ. They ran to him with excitement and they fell down and they worshiped him. And they honored his royalty. They honored his divinity. They honored his humanity with their gifts. Oh, dear friends, I pray that we too, like those wise men of old, would fall down and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please.